Hey, welcome to the podcast for Gospel Community Church in Providence, Rhode Island. We are the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, called to live on mission with one another. The content you are about to listen to is designed and created specifically with our church family in mind, and our hope is that you are blessed and challenged as you listen to it. May it point you to Jesus, challenge you to draw into a faith family, and help you live out the mission of God in your own context. If you find this content helpful, would you consider joining us in the work God is doing here? You can do so by giving financially to help keep the work going, praying for us regularly, or even joining us in our daily and weekly rhythms here in Providence. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy. Today, we will be reading and teaching from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people have gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaving of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valued than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will deny before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He's been being watched, there's cameras in the 
bathroom, there's cameras everywhere, just watching his everything. All of his friends and all of his family are actors and people who have paid roles to be in this guy's life. And it's to the point where, you know, there's this whole set that is his life. He's never left this. And he has this dream, one day he's gonna go to Fiji. You know, he's got this like, little booklet. He's like, I'm gonna go to Fiji one day, that's his big thing. But things keep happening, like get in the way, because obviously if he went to Fiji, the show would be over, you know, we can't create that. Because the whole thing is being set up by these directors, people who are writing a script for Truman's life. And the whole idea for the script is to make sure the audience is entertained at any cost to Truman's life. We want to put him through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows just to make sure that our audience is being entertained. Okay, so humor me for a second here. Uh, this is like not reality, but this is going to be just an illustration. But what if, what if our lives were kind of like that? Have you ever gotten a sense that like, And especially when those like crazy things in life happen, you're like, surely this is a TV show and I'm being punked or something. Like those terrible mornings with a blowout diaper and then it's everywhere on the walls or something. Most of our church has small children, so they'll understand that context. But yeah, imagine that that was actually true. And instead of the whole world watching in a reality TV show, it's just an audience of one. And now, imagine if that audience of one is also the director, and the director's intention is not to just suck as much out of us as possible and to remain distant, but the purpose of the director is to put signposts in play to let us know that he's there, he's watching, he cares. It's a silly example, but I think it actually highlights what Jesus is getting at a little bit in our text this morning. I think Jesus is communicating a lot about God's heart toward us. And there's three things in this text that I think are going to shine through as we kind of walk through it together. And I think those three things are, one, that we are fully known by God. Two, God deeply values us. And three, that God in Jesus is always willing to forgive. Let's pray and we're going to jump into the text, okay? Father, we come to you this morning just asking that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Open our ears. Give us a heart of flesh that we can feel the weight of what you're teaching here. Would it, um, would it sink in in a way that it, it changes our outflow, our action? Jesus, we want to be more like you. Would you make us more in your image and would you use your word and your Holy Spirit to do that? So we ask that you would do that now. Amen. So, Zeke read our passage already, but I'll just remind you, this is going to be a good morning to have some form of your Bible in front of you, whether that is a digital copy or a physical copy. Um, we're going to be looking at some different verses to help supplement our teaching this morning. So I want to pause this so that you can scroll to or flip pages. So 
just bear with me. But our main text for the morning is Luke 12, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to start, jump in at verse 1. It says this, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he, Jesus, began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So a few things happening in these first couple verses. Uh, Luke is making a point to remind us that there are massive crowds following Jesus. We've already seen these huge miracles happen in these big crowds. And, Jesus, and Luke is reminding us again that there's so many thousands of people following Jesus at this point in his ministry that they're trampling over each other just to see them. Like, I think of the story of Zacchaeus as well, and I think of this, that Zacchaeus is trying to get up into a tree just to see Jesus walk by. That's the kind of scene. And then Luke says there's people trampling on each other just so they can hear and see Jesus maybe come close enough to be healed because they know that he has the power to do it. And Jesus knows that he is incredibly popular, but this popularity is very temporary for the moment because just now the crowds are flocking to him pretty soon. He knows when he gets to Jerusalem, they're going to be fleeing away from him or some of them are going to be sticking around just to mock him. So this is a temporary type of Celebrityness that Jesus is experiencing, and he knows that. And last week we saw that with this popularity has come more opposition. Jesus is going around saying that he is the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for for centuries. And that by saying he's the Messiah, he's saying, I am the very Son of God. And that is rattling the cage for a lot of the religious leaders, okay? He's getting a lot more pushback now because he's starting to be a lot more open about who he actually is. Remember last week, if you guys listened to the message, Jesus is being very vocal with some of these religious people. He gives a list of three pretty heavy woes to this group called the Pharisees, and then a list of three pretty heavy ho uh, woes to this group um, called the lawyers, and these were making up a pretty big portion of the religious people. Remember last week, Jesus is at a meal with the Pharisees, but now we're shifting. He's no longer talking to a crowd or to the Pharisees. It says he's talking to his disciples. So now he's having a bit more of an intimate dialogue with his close followers, people who are he, he's training in ministry. So that's the context of this conversation that Jesus is having. Okay? And what does he tell his followers when he turns to him? He says... Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, because it's hypocrisy. So he just came from this meal where he was detailing the hypocrisy of the, of the Pharisees. He was telling the Pharisees, like, you're concerned with the outside of the dish. You're concerned with status. You're concerned with how you look and the things that you can give because you think that that's going to earn you some type of favor with God. And Jesus is saying, God cares about Where's your heart at? You're tithing these things above what you're supposed to, but your heart's in the wrong place. He says, the Pharisees' hearts is filled with greed and wickedness. So when he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, he's saying, beware of letting that greed and wickedness be the place that you're coming from. And that word leaven, it's kind of interesting, so we don't really use it much 
probably the closest thing that we're thinking of is maybe like yeast. Like, oh, the yeast is really small and then it rises. That's like kind of true, but what they're talking about with leaven would have been a fermented piece of bread. So think less yeast and think more like sourdough starter, which isn't super foreign because, you know, COVID and everyone is like a sourdough baker. It's more like a sourdough baker where it would have been a fermented yeast that was left over. So it was actual lump that you were placing with your new lump. And he's saying, don't let that leftover lump of greed and wickedness infiltrate the way that you see your relationship with God. Because God's much more concerned about your heart than he is with all of these hypocritical things that you might think are going to make you closer to God. And what is, Jesus goes on to tell the disciples, he says, listen, nothing, this is verse 2, he says, nothing is covered up that won't be revealed, and nothing is hidden that won't be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in the private rooms shall be proclaimed in the housetops. And the housetops would have been a very public place. We don't think about that. Like someone's not going to get on one of our roofs right now and start saying stuff. But actually, if you wanted something to be known, you would have gone on the housetop because it would have been a very public place at the time. But what Jesus is saying here is like, listen, don't dabble with hypocrisy because it doesn't matter what you think you look like right now. God sees your heart. He sees everything. There are no secrets when it comes to God. He sees everything. That example of the Truman Show again. God sees everything. He's been watching. Now I wonder, what are the parts of yourself that you try and keep hidden? That you don't want anyone else to see? That you keep it buried, you know? really deep down. Don't stand up and like shout it, but think about it to yourself. There's this um, haunting lyric in a Sufjan Stevens song, if any of you have ever listened to him. He's this really creative artist in Brooklyn. And, um, he writes some really interesting lyrics. If you are having a really interesting day, look him up. But he's got this lyric in a song where the song is describing this heinous murder. Okay? And he's talking about the life of this murderer and how it how could someone be so evil and so twisted and, and convoluted to do the things that he was doing, this serial murderer. And then Sufyan's lyric, as he examines his own life, he has this really sobering lyric that says, And in my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets that I've hid. And I think it's true of each one of us. There's parts of us that we want to keep buried, but I think the first point of what Jesus is trying to say in this first section is that nothing is hidden to God. No matter how well you think you are hiding, whatever that is, it is seen and it is known. God sees us and he fully knows us. What, what kind of emotions does that evoke in your heart? Is it joy? Fear, anxiety, relief, maybe a combination of a lot of those. I know some people, it's really a relief to know that someone sees me for who I really am. I know. But then for some people, oh my gosh, someone sees me for who I really am. Anyway, Jesus is saying, you're fully known by God. There's nothing that's hidden. And he goes on to teach in verse 4, he says, teaching his disciples again. He says, 
I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you who to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Okay, some heavy stuff here. But before we get into the heaviness, let's just go back to the beginning of verse 4 and what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, these distant group of people who I don't know very well. No, he says, listen, I'm talking to you as my friends. This is a group that Jesus deeply cares about. He's not talking to them as some like distant ruler who doesn't care. He says, you guys are my friends. So I'm going to talk about some hard things because I love you, okay? And what does he get into? He says, don't worry about those who threaten you, who say, I'm going to kill you or want to do something to harm you. Now, I don't know that that hits appropriately for us living in Western culture. We're relatively safe. And yes, terrible things happen here. And I'm not saying that. And depending on how you grew up, maybe you experienced some really, really, really bad things and were in danger when you were growing up. But as a culture as a whole, we don't have to live in constant fear of something happening. Or by following Jesus, we're going to be killed. But Jesus knows the people that he's talking to, if you keep following me, if you keep saying, yeah, I trust in you, you're the Christ, you're the one alone, actually some physical danger is coming your way. It's coming my way first, and then if you continue to say you follow me, watch out, people are going to want to kill you. He knows that that's ahead of them, so he's kind of like prepping them. And then you think about now, this is a real, real thing for a lot of people. Okay? They live in constant fear for their life of physical harm. I mean, gosh, the news, you don't have to look far right now. What's happening in Afghanistan, you've got people who are desperate to get out of this place because they fear for their lives and what's going to happen. Jesus is talking to this type of person and says, listen, all they can do is harm the outside, but they can't touch the inside. But there is one who's going to judge. And that is uncomfortable for us, again. We like to think of the goodness of God, the, the love, the tender care. And that is true, but there's also, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, this tone of there's going to be a final judgment where actually God's going to judge the living and the dead. And this is a real thing. And Jesus is bringing it to the forefront of our mind. He says, if you're going to fear something, Fear the one who holds those keys and makes that judgment. Man can't touch your heart. No man can judge your heart. But God says that he will. He says, fear God. Okay. Let's get into that language of, he says, don't fear man, but fear God. That sounds kind of like a, okay, God is one, he is loving, but also he's in control. So this idea of fearing God, we see it in a negative light sometimes, and it creates this, in a lot of Christian subcultures, this like, very like, you better do it or else mentality. 
But I think this text actually says something quite different than that. The idea of fearing here is a sense of reverence and awe, recognizing that God is holy, that he's in control, that he is above all things, that he does hold all things together. But scripture actually paints that by fearing the Lord. It's actually a positive thing. So Proverbs 9, uh, 10, you can just note these, you don't have to flip there, but Proverbs 9, verse 10, um, Psalm 111, they both say this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then Proverbs goes on to say, the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So actually, Scripture paints the fear of the Lord as quite a positive thing, that to fear the Lord is something that actually is going to create wisdom, because now you're recognizing who you are and who God is. Let's go on to say, so Jesus says, fear God, and then he says, also this, okay? So before you get to God is a judge, and he's, he's waiting to condemn me, is, let's look at verse 6. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head, they're all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So in that same breath, the same, same little section where Jesus is saying, fear God, he's also saying that God, who you live in reverence to, he cares deeply about you. He knows the hairs on your head. He created you. He knows every part of you, and he values you. He says, actually, because you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. Because you have your priorities set in the right place, there is nothing else in this world that you have to fear. So don't fear the one who can kill your body, okay? Because God cares for you. Because he values you. It's as if Jesus is saying this, if you're going to fear, fear the one who actually has authority to judge. But as you submit yourself in reverence under the authority of God, you actually don't need to fear anything else. Because this God is the one on the throne of the universe. He deeply values you and cares for you. It's kind of a difficult thing to wrap our heads around, so if you will, turn with me to Psalm 34. I think this psalm kind of wraps up this theme really well of the fear of the Lord leading to God's care for us, actually. So Psalm 34, starting at verse 7, says this. The angel of the Lord camps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Do you see the care of God in these verses? That as we submit ourselves to him in reverence and awe, we recognize also that this one who is on the throne deeply values us and cares for us. He says, as you fear him, you will have no lack. You will be cared for, utterly taken care of. And that's the second point that this text is clearly showing us is that God deeply values us. We have to know this before we move on, okay? God deeply values you. Because if you don't know that, this next section is going to make no sense whatsoever. Okay? So let's re keep reading. In verse 8, go back to Luke now. So we're in Luke 12, starting at verse 8. 
Jesus says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Alright, let's acknowledge the elephant in the room before we move forward. Jesus just said, some people won't be forgiven. Okay. Again, where's the love in that? Isn't God supposed to be loving? And he just said, there's some people, there's some blaspheming the Holy Spirit. If you do that, you won't be forgiven. Listen, people over the generations have been haunted by this verse. Okay? They say, what, have I done the thing that God won't forgive me for? Am I too far gone? Am I... Have I done it? Did I cross a line that there's no return, the point of no return? Yeah, that's super heavy, okay? And we're going to come back to this in a minute, but let's look at this first, because I think people just want to jump to that. They want to say, what's the thing that I did that God's not going to forgive me for? Okay, stop, pause, take a deep breath. What did Jesus just say before that? He says, in verse 10, in everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Is this like good cop, bad cop? Like, what's going on? Is this like Jesus is the good guy, Holy Spirit's the bad guy? Jesus forgives, Holy Spirit doesn't. What's going on? It would be really easy to think that. Okay, but let's, let's go deeper into this. Jesus uses the term Son of Man twice in this section. Son of Man. That probably doesn't mean a whole lot to us because we don't use that term, son of man. But son of man was a widely known term in the first century, and it represented kingship, authority. It represented a royalty, someone who you would only get to see if you were called in to see. And then if you were called in to see this royal one, you would not speak unless you were asked to be, unless you were asked to say something. And then... If you dared say something against that royalty, you would instantly be taken away and condemned. Because kings back in the day, they didn't deal with that. It was to the point where if you went into a son of man, you would have to back out with your head down if you were leaving your room. It was this type of reverence. And Jesus is saying, I'm the son of man. I'm the true king. I'm the actual one with real authority. These other kings, they're piddly kings, but I'm the one who's actually over it all. Okay? Son of man, this is me. He's again declaring his lordship, his, his complete authority over all things. And he says, I'm the son of man, and if you speak a word against me, I'm not throwing it away. There's nothing you can say. Actually, you're allowed to come in and dialogue with me. I'm inviting you to come in. What does Jesus say? He says, come to me. He's regularly inviting us into his space. He's not saying, stay away. He's saying, come to me with everything. Okay? And there's nothing you can do or say that I won't forgive. Do you see that grace? Okay? The difference? 
So now let's get back to, well, before we go back to this, this is the third point, okay? Is that Jesus is always willing to forgive. That, fine, he's always willing to forgive. There's nothing you can do, there's nothing you have done that's too far gone, okay? Let's just put a period in that. And now, let's talk about this sin that apparently won't be forgiven. The end of the verse says this, the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So either both of these things are true or neither of them are true. Alright, let's, let's dig deep into what we've been talking about, about who the Holy Spirit is. We just spent eight weeks talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, about listening to His voice, and about walking with Him. And we came to the conclusion in this series, if you remember, that walking by the Holy Spirit and listening to the Holy Spirit is not like an extra thing in the Christian life. It's the essence of the Christian life. To walk in step with God is to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus lived his life perfectly in step with the Holy Spirit. You can look all throughout the Gospels and you'll regularly see Jesus in the Spirit. Or the Spirit descending on Jesus and remaining. Or the Spirit led Jesus to go do this. He is in perfect unison with the Holy Spirit. And he says, when I redeem your soul, the Holy Spirit will come into you. You're going to be dwelt with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And he's saying even that the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to convict you of sin. So that's one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit, is to convict us of sin. We looked at that in our Walk by the Spirit series. Okay? So if one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, then to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, we talked about this multiple times, is to quench His voice, to regularly hear that conviction, to feel that conviction, and harden yourself. And to say, no, I'm not going to listen. So yes, while Jesus is always willing to forgive us, like, listen, like, if you, if you haven't been listening the whole time, just listen now. If Jesus is always willing to forgive us, what's the precursor to being forgiven? It's recognizing that we've done something wrong. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to convict us of sin. If even in this moment you're being convicted, that's not a condemnation. It's a gift. Conviction is a gift because it's what leads us to repentance. And in repentance, now we can live face to face with a God who sees everything already. And now we are fully known and saying, yes, this is exactly who I am. Yes, I have done this. Yes, I am doing this currently. Please help me. I need your help. Because in and of myself, I can't do it. But if you're blaspheming, if you're saying, no, I'm not going to listen to the voice of conviction, if you're hardening your heart regularly, how can you be forgiven? If you're, not, you're not willing to be forgiven. Jesus is willing to be forgiven, but at this point, you're saying no. This is the heart of the text. Okay? Jesus is always willing. But will we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Will we respond when we're being convicted? And will we repent? It's like so abundantly clear in this text, okay? Let's turn to Hebrews 3. So I think this details this better than I could. 
for sure. 100%. Hebrews 3, if you'll turn there with me. It's just going to explain this even. Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 12. The whole chapter really talks about it, but I think this details it well. This is, um, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the Israelites and their exodus from Egypt and how God worked miraculously. But then he's talking about how the generation that was redeemed from Israel was the ones that weren't allowed to enter the promised land. So what happened? Okay, that's the context. Verse 12 says this, Take care, brothers. Now he's talking to Christians, Jewish Christians in the present day. First century. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So it's possible to be hardened by sin. He's talking about the church here. For he says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it said, and this is where he's referring to the Old Testament, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then he reminds us, For who were those who heard and, that, and then they rebelled? Wasn't it those who left Egypt and were led by Moses, the people who experienced miracles? Weren't those the ones that rebelled? And in verse 17 he says, And whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Verse 19 says, So we see that those people were unable to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. There's something here, okay? that is begging us to check our hearts. Begging us to check our hearts. Are we just going through the motions? Are we just like doing the thing because we know like we're supposed to? Like did we just show up here today and do, do we just show up to group and do we just like listen to the Christian music because it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's probably what I should be doing. Or are we actively engaging with God? Those aren't bad things. This is actually a good thing. We're called to do this very thing. But if it's detached from us engaging with God, we're missing the heart. Because this needs to be in the context of life lived in the Holy Spirit. We're not always going to do it perfectly, but that's what we're shooting for. Okay? Alright, so this text, let's just recap real quick. God sees us for who we really are. He deeply values us. And Jesus says there's nothing that is beyond his forgiveness. But I'll just close with this. I really hope whatever that is is okay. Let's just close with this. There's nothing beyond the forgiveness of Jesus. But leave with this question. Are we willing to engage with God? Are we willing to respond to the voice of conviction and continuously repent and say, here I am with everything that I am. Thank you for your forgiveness. I'm weak, but you're strong. Let's pray. Father, this is 
hard and heavy things to understand. And it would be easy to leave this morning feeling like I haven't done enough. But God, I just pray that you would bind the enemy in this moment from that message being heard in, in hearts. And God, would we hear that you are always willing, that you sent your eternal Son, who you loved, to come be sacrificed, experience hell on our behalf so that if we would just be honest with ourselves and our own sinfulness and turn and look to Him, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That we would be completely forgiven. Thank you for speaking that in this text, God. And would you not let us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, God? Would you continuously give us hearts of flesh to feel and sense the Holy Spirit, God, and when we respond, when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit with a bold confidence that no matter what anyone else thinks of us repenting, whether we have to do it to a person or just to you, that it is the right and right response when we feel conviction to repent. And we know that as we repent, you are always willing to forgive. So would we not grow weary in our repentance? Would we not grow weary in recognizing that you are God and we are not? And would we not grow weary in recognizing that you are always willing to forgive? So would we not shy away? Just like the writer of Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God, I pray that if you hear your voice, every person listening in this room or online, if we are hearing you speaking to us right now, that we would respond in faith that Jesus, you are who you said you are, and you will do what you said you will do in forgiving. You are the Son of Man, and there is nothing too bad, there's nothing that we've done that is too horrible, and there's no line that we've crossed that you won't forgive. God, I pray for any of those who are listening in this moment right now, that as they are repenting, maybe for the first time, or maybe a coming back to, they would feel lifting of the weight off of themselves. God, that it would cause them to have some radical conversations, even this afternoon with people, knowing that the one judge who actually has control over everything has given a verdict that says, you are free. Not guilty. God, we pray that this type of posture leads to radical life transformation and that it would lead to us not just doing emotions but living lives in step with your Holy Spirit. Wanting to worship you with every sphere of our lives, knowing that we've been free from bondage of sin. God, we look to you. You are our only hope. Continue to trust you. Amen.